0: Welcome to The Drill On We've got the business stories behind Stocks in a Move. I'm Corey Johnson, with episode number 241. Well, just ahead, Cisco sees its fortunes reverse. And Coinbase has a big quarter, but not for the reasons you might expect. And a fascinating conversation with a $4 billion technology company in Silicon Valley. You may not have heard of one of the best performing stocks in the Russell 2000 last year. CEO of Aurora Innovation, joins us for a really, really interesting conversation. But first.
1: The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-N-T-R-U-S-T.com, to learn more and to get 20% off when you use our link, raintrustcom slash Drill Down.
0: Futurum's chief market strategist, Corey Johnson. You're listening to The Drill Down, where we explain the business stories behind stocks and move. Joining the mic today and on camera for the very first time, Ben Wilson. Ben, don't get nervous. But there are <laughs> millions and
1: millions of people looking at you right now. And you're probably wearing less makeup than me. Maybe someday, but it's exciting that we're finally doing a video episode. This is awesome.
0: Yeah, if people are asking why the folks at Spotify have been encouraging us to put some video on there, and the folks at YouTube have been uh, making a push into the world of of podcasts, and and uh, so you know, when the ducks are quacking, you feed them,
1: Ben. That's the way. I'm not familiar with that expression, but it certainly should be one. Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? Well, I wanna, we're going to do the uh, big C's. Three big
0: C's. That was one of my many nicknames in high school. It's a true fact. Uh, Let's start
1: with Cadence Design Systems. Cadence Design Systems trades with the ticker CDNS with a market cap of about 79 billion. Shares were down 7% in the last week, but for the last 12 months, shares are up 49%. What's the story with Cadence Design Systems? All right. So Cadence Design, if you know the company's competitor, Synopsys, it's really the the biggest
0: company in the space of software for semiconductor designs. They also do industrial uh, designs and they have some hardware components uh, in their business as well, as well. But it's really focused on really complex design for uh, industrial things and and especially in semiconductors. It's a big company, as you mentioned, Ben, and they've had a big, uh, you know, they've had a big tailwind with the growth in semiconductors but also a headwind with the issues around uh, COVID-19. So in the quarter they just reported, they reported a a fourth quarter of a billion dollars in revenue, a 15% rise year over year, but the guidance was not what some people might have hoped. And there were some inventory issues. This for a company in software, you wouldn't expect it as much. Uh, But the real problem is comparisons. So during the pandemic, of course, no one could get semiconductors. Uh, They might have been designing them using cadence software, but companies couldn't get the things manufactured as we know so well. And then last year, companies started to get a lot of stuff manufactured, a lot of semiconductors, but Cadence itself was having trouble getting uh, the semiconductors they needed. And so managing hardware inventory has been a real problem through all this uh, uh, tumult in the last few years. We heard from Cadence Design CEO, uh, Nirun Devkin, talking about uh, the issues particularly on the hardware front with inventory. On the hardware front, you might recall this time last year we finished um,
2: with over six months of um, of backlog for for hardware um, we We addressed those leads to lead times at the start of the year uh, and now we're down to a more normal eight weeks of of hardware backlog so when you when you compare the backlog at the end of uh, twenty three against the end of twenty two I think it it reflects you know strong bookings, broad based bookings across all geographies, across all businesses. But on the, on the hardware sites, slightly less hardware or maybe um, uh, less hardware, certainly, in backlog at the end of 23 versus the end of 22.
0: So the way you usually look at these numbers is uh, day sales outstanding, DSOs. And the DSOs last year were so bad that the bad DSO number they just put up in the fourth quarter is actually better improving over last year. I put together a chart showing how their DSOs are improving on a, on a year-over-year basis, but it's still not a good number for them. 42 days of day sales outstanding, not great for this company, uh, and something they say will certainly improve, but maybe not fully until the end of this calendar year.
1: Corey, what is your next drill down? I want to look at Cisco Systems. Cisco Systems trades with the ticker CSCO with a market cap of about $198 Shares were down 3% in the last week, but for the last 12 months, shares are down 5%. Real mover and shaker this one. What's the story with Cisco Systems? Well, what what NVIDIA stock is to the AI bubble, if
0: you will, Cisco was to the dot-com bubble. This was the stock that everyone had to understand, had to know what was Cisco. Not Disco, that was in the 70s. That was a different bubble. But Cisco such an important company, uh, uh, selling networking, hard- hardware, software, um, uh, security as well. Uh, big business, as you mentioned, Ben, and thirteen billion, $12.8 billion in the quarter. But that was actually down from the previous year. Now, it looked like they had really fixed things. Revenues were ticking up every quarter. But uh, revenue shrinkage here. And a, kind of a surprise, I think that's why the stock sold off this week, when you had seen five quarters of revenue growth last quarter, last year, uh, last, the end of third quarter, it was 7.6% growth, but now 5.9% shrinkage, not good for this company, uh, and you, one wonders what's going on, particularly when you look at inventory. Inventory creeping up and creeping up and creeping up, and it has been for a few years now. When you look at their days of inventory, we talked in the last, we were talking about uh, Cadence Design earlier about their uh, day sales outstanding. We look at the days of inventory for Cisco and not good, probably a warning sign. You can see it rising at the company. It's also rising at their customers. And um, uh, Chuck Robbins, the CEO of Cisco, who I think is just a terrific CEO, managing a really uh, behemoth of a technology company, saying that they were surprised when their customers came to them with some macroeconomic uncertainty uh, in the fourth quarter that they didn't see in the third quarter.
2: So obviously with the lower guide, we talked about the – the, the feeling that there's some macro uncertainty. Uh, we talked to our teams in preparation for this and they they obviously submitted their forecast. And what we really saw was, um what they previously told us 90 days ago relative to the second half versus what they told us a couple of weeks ago had changed materially, which means customers are pushing things out and putting a little more scrutiny on
0: them. So, so Ben, customers pushing things, customers you know, putting a little more scrutiny on spending. We certainly see that in Silicon Valley. We see that certainly with headcount reductions in Silicon Valley. But uh, Cisco at least saying that that's what their customers are saying when it comes to big network spending.
1: Well, it also seems like if you'd looked at their inventory numbers over time, it shouldn't have been as big a surprise to them as it is.
0: Yeah, not everyone pays attention to inventory, but inventory is, is, uh, some academics have studied this and say that inventory is the number one predictor of underperformance by a company. And certainly you can see that with Cisco's numbers here.
1: Corey, what is your next drill down? I want to look at Coinbase. Coinbase Global actually is the official name of this company. Coinbase Global does make it sound a little fancier. Trades with the ticker COIN with a market cap of about 44 billion. Shares are up 20% in the last week, uh 27%, excuse me, but for the last 12 months, shares are up 176%. Bitcoin's wow. up so Coinbase is up? No, it's you know it's more than that. Well, certainly, if you look at a
0: chart, we're going to do this. We normally talk about the company first, but let's look at some charts first. Um, when you, uh, I'm going to show you three charts. We're going to show, look at a chart of, of Coinbase stock, right? If you look at the chart of Coinbase stock, it's, you know, a dipped at the beginning of the year and rose again. Uh, and then when you look at uh, the Bitcoin, let's put them together. If you put Bitcoin together with Coinbase, you start to see, for those just listening, I'll explain what you see. You see that when Bitcoin catches a cold, Coinbase catches a fever, so it sold off a lot in the first uh, uh the last few weeks as Bitcoin prices fell a little bit and then really took off with the earnings results. But when you look deeper at the earnings results, it's not just about Bitcoin. Stablecoin was a big part of the revenues for Coinbase. So stablecoin revenues, about 20%, 19% of the revenues in the last quarter was because of the stablecoin business for these guys. And uh Uh, best practices, these guys are just doing a great job of telling us what's going on and actually filing their annual report, filing their 10K with their earnings. So if you want to know what's going on, you know, I don't know what their regulatory um, uh, discussion is. They will give you that when they report the quarter. And we saw that with Coinbase. But I want to read to you from uh, from the 10K when they explain what's really going on with the stablecoin business, because it's really interesting. They work with a company called Circle, the, the, the issuer of the USDC or the U.S. dollar coin. And USDC numbers uh, were a lot of people putting money into Coinbase, a lot of people putting money, parking their money with USDC. And the in, uh, associated interest rates were really beneficial to Coinbase. Um, uh, specifically, if you look into their filing, they say that while uh, the money uh, is, is not Im- impacted, the balances are not impacted by a rise or an increase or decrease in interest rates, the related amount of stablecoin revenue that they earn could be significantly impacted by an increase or decrease in interest rates. A hypothetical 500 basis point increase or decrease in the average rates applied to USDC balances would have been a $735.5 million swing in revenues for Coinbase. So interest rates were up, revenues swung up, and that was really good for Coinbase. But uh, it was an interesting quarter, and I think a little more interesting than the, than the crypto followers might have paid attention to because stablecoins were so much a part of that. And yet, the real interesting thing here is talking about usage. And Brian Armstrong, the fantastic CEO of Coinbase, I know I said Chuck Robbins is a good CEO, Brian Armstrong, really impressive what he's done with his company since inventing it uh, and really creating the dominant company in this business, certainly dominant publicly traded company in the world of crypto. Talking about usage. Yeah, that's right. Using crypto for doing something. It's hard for Americans to get their head around the use cases for uh, crypto. But if, you, if you're overseas at all, you start to recognize how hard it is to move money and how uh, Coinbase is actually going to looking at actual usage and payments to make things easier Uh, across borders and how they're making that so much simpler with some technological advances that they see as a big business for them going forward. Here's Brian Armstrong.
2: Payments is one of the areas that we're exploring in 2024 around utility. And I'm pretty excited about that as an opportunity. Um, I mentioned in the opening comments that uh, last year we did announce that you can send USD coin on base and instantly anywhere in the world for free. So um, the cost and the the transaction fees and the confirmation times are really starting to come down and the more you reduce friction the more payments you'll start to see and so there's a variety of different use cases for payments you know payments is a is a huge industry um some of this you could you can look at in emerging markets uh where people have local currencies where there's high inflation and so you know the dollar has a great brand there people want access to the dollar so um, they're able to do that now with stable coins and uh, USD coin kind of gives them a trusted option that's, um, you know, regulated. And um, the partner we have with Cir- uh, Circle, you know, they've been a great partner. They're, they're a great issuer of that. So emerging markets demand for the dollars uh, as an inflation hedge, I think, is is a starting point.
0: And yeah, he's saying that inflation is even more de- putting more demand on the ability of for people to want to park their money somewhere, attach that money to U.S. dollars, and maybe Coinbase could be the vehicle for that uh, worldwide.
1: Certainly, a lot of potential use for that. But it seems like the company doing so well um, has to do a lot with things out of their control, between inflation rates and Bitcoin and that sort of thing.
0: Yeah, and I and I got to say that they've done a good job of managing what they can manage and and. And benefiting from things that they can't manage from interest rates. But yeah, even turning a very, very small profit in the quarter for the first time ever, a, a gap profit for the first time ever, um, a good change for Coinbase. We certainly wish them well. Or right, the company, well, I also wish well Aurora Innovation. Self driving big rigs, it's a thing, it's here. They're on the road right now from Aurora Innovation. They're testing these things. It's a big company. It's had a fantastic move in the stock price after having a really bad uh, start to things. But one of the best movers in Russell 2000, I sat down with the CEO. I met him at the headquarters of Renovations in Silicon Valley. And here we are with a fantastic interview with Chris Ermanson right after this.
1: The Drill Down is brought to you by Era. Never miss another critical event or insight ever with Era. Customize your company watch list, attract key events, mentions, filings, and more. All within an easy-to-use, customizable interface. That's Era, A I E R A dot com.
0: Right, Welcome back to the Drill Out Podcast. We are joined right now by the CEO of Aurora Innovations, Chris Robinson. Joins us from uh, Are you in Mountain View or San Jose? I was there yesterday.
3: Uh, we're we're technically Mountain View, I guess. Te- we are right Mountain on the border you. there. Yeah, we're right near right um, on the edge of Sunnyvale
0: building trucks in a place that's more used to building software or semiconductors. I thought it was really interesting to drive up to your headquarters as I did yesterday and see your operations.
3: Oh, well, thanks for coming down. Yeah, we're, we're pretty excited. And of course, we're not just here in Mountain View. We are across the country. We've got a big footprint in Pittsburgh. We're down in Texas. We're up in Seattle and uh, Colorado, Montana, all over the place.
0: I was excited to visit you guys. And I have to say that one of the... So we should back up. What problem are you guys trying to solve?
3: Yeah, so we are trying, or, or the company's mission is to deliver the benefits of self-driving technology safely, quickly, and broadly. And it's really about making our roads safer, making our transportation more accessible and more equitable, uh, and uh, helping people and goods get where
0: they need to go. And you are focused not exclusively on trucks and semis, but but focused on that at least.
3: That's right. We've built the Aurora Driver, which is a common set of hardware and software for driving both uh, trucks and light vehicles. But our first product is going to be in trucking and and helping our carrier customers uh, move their customers' goods from one place to another. Why trucking? Well, we think trucking is the right first market for automated vehicles. Uh, We see the, the impact that we can have there being profound the market is gigantic impact right? it's
0: chris chris poor choice of words fair enough, fair enough. really uh, come on you yeah, see the impact yeah. is the vehicle let's get them all out there <laughs> yeah
3: so we're, we're trucking along we're you know <laughs> we're on the road again all of these things There we yeah, go so fa- fair enough but no we, we we look at this market as gigantic right it's a 700 billion dollar market that we can we can help uh, we look at the safety benefits. So there's about 500,000 uh, accidents involving heavy-duty trucks every year on the U.S. Ro- on the U.S. roads, and about five and a half thousand people killed every year in truck-related accidents. Uh, we see the opportunity to move goods more quickly, and and frankly, w- driving trucks is a really important job. Uh, right, the, the the men and women who do this, I have an amazing amount of respect for. If you look around where you are, where I am. Nothing in this room didn't move on a truck right. uh, before it came here. But it's also an incredibly difficult job, that uh, truck drivers are 10 times as likely to dry on the job as the average American. Uh, they spend days or weeks away from home, away from their family, missing important events in life. They have uh, a number of health issues that are associated with that. So we want to find ways that we can bring technology to complement the, the the men and women that, that do this job.
0: Yeah, it's such an interesting job in our modern economy. right? It, it is. It is, it is really hard. It's physically hard, although it's not physically active, strangely. It's, um, uh, uh, it's, it's it's a real punishing job that requires, it's incredibly monotonous, and yet requires a level of technical skill on occasion that, that just don't lend themselves to what humans are good at.
3: That's right, and, and people would increasingly don't want to do it. So over the next decade, the American Trucking Research Association, I think that's the right name of the group, uh, estimates we need to find 1.2 million new drivers. And I just don't know where they're going to come from if it's not the Aurora driver.
0: Yeah, I didn't tell you this when I saw yesterday, but I actually own some trucks, um, oh, wow. specialty uh, trucks in, in Hollywood. And it's an interesting business. And yeah, the drivers are good drivers are a problem to schedule. Um, either have, there's either too many of them or not enough of them. And it's never the right amount. Um, yeah, and, it, and the right vehicles are, are are hard to manage.
3: It's a very cyclic business. And and the last point really brings us to the way we think about it, that, that Aurora, we know what we think we're good at, right? And we think we can be best in the world at delivering the driving technology, but I have a ton of respect for the folks who make trucks. This is why we work with companies like Packard Volvo Trucks. Together, they make half the trucks sold in the US market. And then on the customer side, you know, we don't want- Those Peterbilt's
0: a, I saw yesterday are really cool looking.
3: Aren't they amazing? Right, like, I, I'm sorry. Every every time I get near them, I become this you know five year old boy again. I'm like, I showed know, I our, our, our
0: our listeners and viewers can see us in uh, on uh, my social media channels at Corey TV and X, for example. But um, I, I showed some pictures of the Apple model last night, and she said, "Oh wow, those are Peter Belts, aren't they?" <laughs> they knew
3: well, that's awesome. Yeah, they're they're, they're iconic. Yeah.
0: Um, so I was I was started to say earlier that. It was important for me to visit you guys. I don't always visit the companies that I get to talk to. Talk to. I'm not so lucky, but I was yesterday. Um, not least of which because there's been so much fraud in your sector, um, as as we talked about. I was once a fraud investigator for hedge funds, and and um, you guys have are, are look like the real deal. You've got real a lot of people working on a lot of physical goods, um, and um, it's a very uh, expensive and labor intensive effort, as you say, spread out all over the place. Does that? What is the uh, what are the effects of of what's happened in the publicly traded sector of of BS? Wait it's a podcast. I can say bullshit of bullshit that's happened from other companies. How does that affect yeah. you? That can't make things easier.
3: Yeah. So so when we look at it, I, I'm a slightly more optimistic person than you. I, you know, I see it as perhaps everyone um, is. Everyone is. You're everyone a good company. is. Fair, fair enough. Uh, th- these are folks who. Like any new technology sector, right? There, there's folks who see this thing that's coming. They kind of get the vision for it, but they really don't understand what it takes to make it happen, right? There's a, an exuberance. The what's the expression? Um, uh, enthusiasm exceeds ability. Uh, yeah. Kind of space, right? And and what's fortunate about Aurora is we've positioned ourselves to go win, right? We, you know, I've been working in the space for twenty some years. We've built an amazing set of people who have deep expertise who understand what it takes to get from. You, know, were, you were at Carnegie and, you Mellon,
0: know. you were at Google for a long time, working on, on uh, the, the automated self-driving car stuff.
3: Yeah, yeah. At, at Carnegie Mellon, I competed in these uh, DARPA Grand Challenges, which were these robot races in the desert that the Defense Department sponsored. At Google, I helped found what's now Waymo and led that for seven years. And, and I've been building a roar with an amazing set of folks here for the last um, seven and change years.
0: But, but to that, you were saying uh, with, with uh, the people who are overexcited and maybe trying to uh, take money away from people who are excited about the industry, the potential.
3: Yeah, I think I think what we've been building at Aurora is we've been focused on how do you actually do this right? And we've been methodical. Um, we've been focused on what we can do best and, and not overextending. So that's why we work with uh, the the Packard folks, the Volvo folks, why we work with companies like FedEx and Hirschback and Schneider and Uber. Um, it's because... You know, I, I like to think of a company. You know, you, if you're going to do something important, you need one miracle, but you don't want more than one miracle needed. Uh, and when <laughs> you look at some of these companies, um, you know, their concept seems to be like let, let's have three miracles, four miracles to succeed. And ours is just let's get this automated driving thing work. Let's focus on building a business there that's asset light, that's going to have really good margins over time, that's going to create a lot of social value, but also an immense amount of value for our shareholders.
0: So some of the technical challenges that you've taken on, uh, I won't, I'm sure most of them I can't even pretend to uh, imagine, but I saw a lot of your engineers working on writing code as we were walking through the, uh, well, as I was wheeling through the office. Fair enough, yeah. My yep. knee scooter, my broken foot, another story, another time. But um, I saw- I hear it was uh, heroic, by the way. It was a I heroic have. story. It it's, heroic. It's, it would take more time than we have on this podcast. S- saving small
3: children, it was, it was incredible. And there
0: was the dog- oh yeah on the the train tracks oh yeah like after
3: you you thought you were done with the children and there was the dog and
0: sacrifice the pickup truck it's it's amazing mama got out of jail it's a country song but in any case uh you're uh, one of the one of the big challenges you've taken on that that i think some might have questioned if it looks necessary is building your own lidar laser radar essentially Yep. um uh that has capacities very different than a lot of the LIDAR, LIDAR advancements that are off the shelf in a lot of places. Indeed, those are also cutting-edge technologies. But you're trying to basically start from scratch. Why? What is it that you need that's different? Why do you think the off-the-shelf LIDAR isn't good enough?
3: Yeah, because we understand the problem uh, fundamentally, right? So uh, when you think about driving a truck down the freeway, you need to see a shocking distance into the down the road, into the future, if you will. And when we founded the company, we actually started working on light vehicles because from the experience we had, we understood that we just couldn't see far enough with the technology that existed. And so for the first couple of years of this company, I spent time with, with uh, our head of uh, corporate development going around meeting all of the LiDAR companies. And you know, good companies doing interesting things, but nothing was breaking through until we met the small company out of Bozeman, Montana. And they had a fundamentally different way of measuring how far things were away with the LiDAR that meant that they could see substantially farther, that they were much more in- immune to things like bright sunlight or headlights, uh, and that you could measure how fast the thing was moving instantly. And we did our diligence on that, and we realized that this was a unique set of technologies. There was a great you know IP portfolio around it, folks who'd been working on this for 10, 15 years, uh, and we didn't see it anywhere else, and, and we saw, An offensive benefit and that if we had the technology we could do something that was technologically differentiated that we didn't think anyone else could get to and a defensive concern which was if somebody else bought it then we didn't think it was going to be possible to solve the trucking problem and so at that point it was like okay this is an investment worth making uh and so we brought them in house and it's been nothing but phenomenal right it's um you hear about how many so many of these acquisitions I, i think it's what you would know better than me, but ninety percent of acquisitions turned yeah. out not really meeting kind of the goals, and this one far exceeded it. So we're. Well, it's. We're thrilled it's
0: about I that. mean, that's a, a real management challenge. It's not usually the technology challenge, right? Is that you know you look at companies like Cisco that have just for decades been really good at doing lots of acquisitions, and that's a that's a muscle that they developed.
3: Yep, yep, and you know for what it's worth, uh, Mike Volpe, who was the guy at Cisco that the great led Mike that Volpe. charge, the great, the one and only, uh, is on our board. Uh, right, and, I was unaware and so of that. Yeah, it's so the second time the his name has come up this week.
0: Oh, really? Oh,
3: yeah. Well, he, they, he was
0: an analyst at H and Q at Hamburg and Quist back during the bubble, and then went to Cisco. Yes, huh. is, these are all true facts.
3: Interesting. Okay. Yeah. No, he's uh, he's a phenomenal board member, great human being, and you know, as we've you know we've we've made a few uh, acquisitions over the years, and having someone with his experience and thoughtfulness on the board for me to go and engage with is is you know is powerful.
0: Wow, the Mike Volpe shout out for those of you at home uh, waiting for the Mike Volpe shout out to do your shots and now's your moment. So um, they've, they've listened to 240 podcasts and finally Volpe gets a mention. Um, I'm glad to deliver. You know. So let's let's talk about the, the specific challenge there because your lidar has to do the things in traffic in urban settings that any vehicle that's trying to be able to detect uh, uh, what's going on on the road, what's going on on the sidewalk, what's going on between the two. But yep. what are the challenges that are different for trucks?
3: Yeah, so so with a truck, um, the obvious challenge is that it is bigger and heavier. Uh, and that means that, again, I'm going to do some math here for a moment, but uh, kinetic energy is mass times velocity squared. And so we're moving at freeway speeds, unlike robotaxis in a city. Uh, and we're hauling 80,000 pounds instead of you know 5,000 pounds. And so those two... Factors mean there's just a lot more energy, which means it takes longer to slow down and stop, which means you just have to see further. And if you ride along with some of the amazing um, uh, commercial drivers that we have today, they're looking a half kilometer down the road um, to figure out, okay, there's a there's a vehicle pulled over to the side of the shoulder. I should make a lane change over to to give that person space. With the the conventional lidar that you can buy from you know the the various companies, they see about two hundred meters. Uh, and so with them, it's, you know, the, the metaphor I use, it's like driving in a fog that they can only see so far and then they get surprised. And so we have a great video up on our website where you can see, um, that as, uh, we show our sensor picking up an object and then it takes about nine seconds, uh, before the, the conventional lidar sees it at all. And in that time we've made a lane change and moved over. And it's really the difference between, uh, demo wear, and like a, a productionizable product. Uh, and it's just fundamental.
0: That's fascinating. Um, uh, yeah, because the problems are real. What about speeding? I, I I drove recently from Miami to San Francisco with a quick stop in Jackson Hole. Not exactly on the way, but worth every moment. Um, I didn't see a lot of 18-wheelers uh, doing 55 or 65 or whatever it was.
3: Yeah. So So we engineer our system, of course, to Stay at or below the speed limit, um, right? And that is a safety benefit. Speed kills, as the as as you know, police officers and you know Department of Transportation will tell you. So we think that's a safety benefit. Uh, and in fact, um, when we're operating on the road, we actually cap out at sixty five miles per hour unless we're passing a vehicle, uh, even on seventy five mile per hour roads. And the one of the benefits of this is fuel economy. So again, um, with at the risk of introducing some math. Uh, wind resistance is the square of speed. Uh, and that's one of the big loads that drives fuel economy on vehicles. And so by driving at 65 miles per hour rather than 75 miles per hour, we save somewhere between 20 and 25% fuel economy uh, on fuel economy, which is huge, right? It's good for the bottom line for our customers. It's good for the environment. And the obvious question is like, okay, why don't the carriers just tell their drivers to do this? And the answer is they do. They do, but but reality happens, right? That that these drivers are on the road. They can only drive for eleven hours. So if they get stuck in traffic somewhere, they have a choice of: do I drive a little bit faster and get to go sleep in a hotel room or in my own bed, or do I get stuck on the side of the road somewhere because I can't exceed my hours of service?
0: Yeah, or they well, can get more work over the course of the year if they well, get more rides finished, and yeah, they,
3: they get more rides, or it's you know their daughter is. Uh, you know, got their first T ball game that evening and they want to get. Or their home sec- to that.
0: second wife is somewhere in another city. would not going to go there. Um,
3: <laughs> you know, and also I've taken the trip between uh, Fort Worth and El Paso across, yeah. you know, north yeah, uh, Northwestern Texas. Yeah, and and they're human. And it's like, there's just not a lot to see here and let's get through it, right? They call so, it hill
0: country because there's nothing else to see.
3: <laughs> yeah, and it, there's not that many hills, frankly. Um, yeah. But, you know, but it's. It's one of those places where as a human being, it's like, let's just get this done, right? And and so whereas because the Aurora driver will be able to operate beyond hours of service because it it doesn't get tired, it doesn't sleep, um, it doesn't need to go take a bathroom break, uh, it can just drive along at a slightly lower speed and actually get goods places more quickly still.
0: Let me ask you lastly, is there a fear factor? I mean, the idea of... You know, you, you see these, these uh, moments when people are jumping into, now in San Francisco, people you know, yeah. get into a Waymo vehicle and with, with their camera on and video themselves with no driver in the front. They get a little freaked out. It's a, it's a weird but, experience. But if you're on the road and you know there's nobody inside of the truck, is that concerning? So Is there, that, is that an issue for your business?
3: Let, let, me, let me take a couple of different angles of this. So, so one is, yeah, they get freaked out and that freak out lasts about two to five minutes. And then they're like, okay, this is kind of boring. And then they're on their phone. And it's amazing how quickly people habituate to that. Um, it's it's honestly, it's one of those things I've seen over and over and over again over the over the decades. With the the truck technology on the freeway, um, the safety benefit is real. So we did a, a study where we looked at I forty five where our trucks operate today, and between we looked at all of the fatal collisions that involved. A heavy-duty truck, and it turns out there were 29 of them where the Aurora driver could have been driving, uh, and across those, none of them would have happened if a, the Aurora driver was operating. And it's not because it has some, you know, insane reflexes or you know it, it can drive a, you know, it, it's because it's paying attention and it can see everything around it all the time. And one of the one of the ones that sticks with me is there was two passenger vehicles that had a, a minor fender bender. Uh, right. And the, the people, there was people on the shoulder, I guess, exchanging insurance or whatever they do after an accident. And this truck comes along. Uh, and for whatever reason, the driver didn't see it until late, made an evasive maneuver onto the shoulder to avoid the cars and went through the people. Right. And it's just awful. And we ran the simulation of this. And what happens is the truck comes across it and it slows down and makes a lane change. And it just not- it's as if nothing happened. Right, and if you think about the impact this would have for those families, right, and the fact that yeah. their loved ones would still be here, and that's a real event, right? This is not some hypothetical. You know, we've got all kinds of numbers and statistics, but like that's just reality, right? And and I think that as people start to see that benefit integrate over time, you know, they'll they'll, they'll, they'll really understand it.
0: Chris Ermanson, CEO of Aurora Innovations, thanks for your time. We appreciate it.
3: My pleasure. Thanks so much.
0: All right, coming up next, the, the, the drill down, the bite. One number
1: that tells us a whole lot more about our innovations. Right it for this. The drill down is brought to you by Futurum Group, where analysts, researchers, advisors, content creators, and marketing experts help business leaders anticipate and understand shifts in their industries and build strategies, to leverage disruptive innovation. With deep analysis, Futurum Group's extensive industry experience delivers reliable research and data, thought leadership, and actionable advice to help you with your strategy and go-to-market efforts. Futurum Group.
0: All right, we're back with a drill-down bite. One number that tells us a whole lot about Aurora and such a fascinating company. Ben, uh, it's so interesting to visit them and see what they're working on in in real life. But uh, boy, the thing they're really working on are those fatal crashes that we, you heard us talking about. And there were, according to the Department of Transportation, 5,340 fatal crashes in bar- involving large trucks and buses in the U.S. Uh, in 2021, the most recent year for which that information is available. So just a, a, an absolute tragedy um, uh, that maybe these guys could help us uh, start to avoid uh, on the roads, Ben. Exciting potential. Well, thank you for listening to Future of The Drill Down. I'm Corey Johnson. Thanks to Ben Wilson, our editor extraordinaire of Future of The Drill Down, a production of 6.5 Media.